she took a really long time. And we're like, I thought she said she was going to take a minute. We waited and my husband's like, man, I got a meeting I got to get back to, you know, there's stuff happening. We were so nonchalant about it because we really thought it was nothing. And she came in and that was when our whole world changed. This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea B. And for those of you who don't know me, let me introduce myself. I'm not a life coach, a therapist, or a certified anything really, except like CPR and first aid. (laughs) Heck, I don't even have a college degree. I am, however, a regular old human with a huge heart and problems just like you. If you're looking for a podcast to solve all of life's mysteries and show you how to become super successful, you're in the wrong place. This is Beyond the Picket Fence, a podcast that tells the behind the scenes of people's lives to remind you that no one is perfect. This is officially your invitation to take a break from trying to keep it all together. Let's get real. Welcome back. In honor of Heart Month, today's story comes from as you could probably guess, a newly diagnosed heart patient. But what is the diagnosis and what does it really mean for her family? Let's find out. Today's guest preferred to stay anonymous. So for the sake of this episode, we are calling her Rachel. Hello, Rachel, not Rachel. (laughs) So nice to meet you with my different name. (laughs) I love it. So can you introduce as much of yourself as you would like and just start wherever your story starts? Yeah, our introduction to Heart Warrior and everything heart is relatively new. And so I feel like it's such a big responsibility to carry that title um, because there are so many people out there who are navigating the really strong and complex needs of being or caring for a Heart Warrior. And I'm actually doing both. And we'll get to that part of the story. Um But I think we got to start with just who I am and what my life looks like. Rachel is married and has two kids, one in third grade and one in seventh. While they live in the United States currently, they have lived overseas in the past. We packed up everything when our oldest was four and our youngest was seven months and we moved overseas. We lived in Singapore and Japan and we loved it. It was so wonderful and so impactful to our family uh, that I really feel like It gave us the opportunity to bond differently as a unit of four than if we would have stayed in the U.S. And and now with what we'll talk about in a few minutes and, and what's going on in our family, I really am grateful for that experience because it's made us stronger in a lot of ways. It was not easy to live overseas, um, you know, to have a to have a baby, especially, and to have a spouse who was out of the country as much as in the country. And I was in a new country with these kids. Um, it was a lot. It was a lot. But we're going through a lot right now, and life is a lot. And uh, it takes an incredible amount of strength for many of us to get through our day to day even when nobody can see it. And so a lot of what we're going through today, I can do and I'm empowered to do because I I grew stronger living overseas and because our family bonded. Uh, We are the only four people who have been through our life. You know, when you live close to home and when you stay near your family, you you have so many more connections to the activities that you do, to the reasons you do what you do. And when you move overseas, you have to build it all. You have to decide, you know, all of your family traditions are gone from the holidays. We didn't move from the other side of the country from our family. We moved from, you know, living half hour from both of our parents and we moved to the other side of the world. And so, you know, you build, you build your family traditions, you decide what's important to you without the expectation of who you were back home and what your family expects of you. Uh, You decide how you're going to handle hard things when you don't have any support system. Uh, A lot of that is, is stuff that has helped us today. That is so cool. That's amazing. Did you go there for your husband's job? Is that what took you over there? 
Yeah. We went there for my husband's job. Um, so it gave me the opportunity to kind of explore a new place. And I left a career in the U S and so, uh, you know, we, we had one and I was working full time. And then when our second was born, we were really trying to figure out how we were going to manage it. Um, because our firstborn had a number of medical challenges and, and, you know, was labor intensive more so than your average child for, for medical reasons. And, uh, it just seemed like a great opportunity because it was a wonderful opportunity for him professionally, but also I could explore, I could learn something new and I could dedicate my time to our family in the way that we felt that it needed to be done. Since they lived overseas, I was super curious what had brought this sweet little family back to the United States. Also a job. So okay. we did move back to the U.S. and we live in a different place than where we um, than where we first lived. We're in the South right now and we used to live in the Midwest. Um, so it's it's very different. And we moved here without ever like I've never even been to the state that we live in now we, before we lived here. We moved here without knowing anything about the place. But one of the things we learned when you're moving overseas, you know, you've got a couple of days to pick a house. You have a couple of days to decide where your kid's going to go to school, other than the online research, stuff like that. Uh, we've learned that your success as a family is so dependent on your mindset, so much more than what your house actually looks like or where your kid's school is. It's the decision that you're going to succeed rather than like the decisions that you make sometimes. Mm -hmm. I or like the circumstances that are kind of just brought upon you. Exactly. While Rachel is new to the heart world, having a member of the family with great medical needs was not new. So our first child, our daughter was born um, with severe food allergies and food allergies and a whole lot more. It's hard to explain. She had a lot of challenges. Um, and a lot of people don't understand what extensive and severe food allergies can mean in infancy. So for us, what that looked like was in, uh, in you know, failure to thrive, inability to gain weight, inability to transition to solid foods, uh, chronic illness, because when you're constantly bombarding your immune system with foods that uh, you don't know you're allergic to, uh, you're you're constantly sick because your immune system just can't handle what is being put at you. So she was allergic to dairy, soy, peanuts, shellfish, and egg. So initially we thought the dairy was an issue. And so I was trying to wean that out of my diet when I was nursing um, and trying to control it, but it just wasn't working. And the poor little one was just sick uh, and crying all the time, all the time. And, you know, we would be going into weight checks and we finally, she was hospitalized after a bad bout of rotavirus Mm. and we couldn't get her to tolerate anything after that. So before that, uh, she really wasn't able to eat food. Uh, she clearly didn't have the reflexes to learn how to eat food, but we really just hadn't figured anything out yet. Um, we we found out her list of allergies and we were like, well, what do we feed her? Yeah, so that was literally she, almost everything. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And at that point, we were starting to talk about feeding tube. You know, if we were unable to feed her, if we couldn't get her to be able to take in food, we would have to find another solution. Uh, and so what we transitioned to is what we affectionately called the super juice, which was um, medical grade formula that is used for feeding tube patients because we needed something that was completely um, hypoallergenic and broken down. That was the only thing that she could really tolerate for some period of time. She was able to finally start to grow. The chronic breathing and coughing and other issues that she was experiencing were finally reduced. And that was, that was great. And she has grown out of many of her allergies, but still we have life-threatening ones that remain. And for, for people who don't fully understand food allergies, which is a lot of people, um, 
and, and there's a spectrum of food allergies. There's the kind that like you can eat something and it makes your stomach feel upset. And then there's the kind, and that's really a sensitivity, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the kind that, that causes a full-blown immune system reaction, which can result in a life-threatening event in two minutes. And so we have lived with that um, for nuts and peanuts for her whole life. And so we know how to navigate that. We know how to carry her emergency medicine. We know how to travel with food allergies um, because we still went knowing that she had these medical challenges. And we, and we met with her doctors actually when the opportunity came up to go overseas and talk to them about whether or not we should even be considering this, you know, when we could barely manage as a family uh, and, and she was in the hospital and she was having reactions and we were spending countless nights, you know, trying to help this, this poor child breathe. She's on breathing machines. It, it just, we, we didn't know if it was a good idea and we would never put her in danger. And her allergist is like, no, go. You're going to a place that has great medical care. It will be such a good experience for your family to explore a different culture. And um, and so we did it. And we did it scared for sure. Yeah. But um, if but it's anything kind of- like I can relate, it's like a bomb, like it's like a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. And even though you get you like at first it's hard and then you get used yeah. to living with it. And then it's just like, this is just our life. But there's always that little thing in the back of your mind, like it's a ticking time bomb. Like, when is it going to go off? And that's scary. And it's complicated because, you know, when you look at somebody with food allergies, you don't see anything. You see normal. And and I really don't like the word normal anymore because there is nothing normal about the panic, like that you get for a quick second when your kid coughs in a restaurant and you don't know why yet. And, you know, do I need to reach for the EpiPen? Um, That's, but that's, a that is our normal. That is a normal part of our life to be like, okay, well, what, what do I need to prepare for? What happens if we're flying across the world and our flight is delayed somewhere at a layover and I can't get access to safe food for my kid? You know, how do I? So, so parents who live with that elevated level of fear for whatever medical reason they are facing have a tremendous responsibility and burden to, to plan these scenarios that most people don't even have to think about. And that became much more pronounced in recent years. So that's kind of the backdrop was the early years were us navigating and figuring out um, how to how to teach her how to eat because because the allergies were so severe, she didn't learn, like I said, with through normal reflex of eating. We had to train her with intensive occupational feeding therapy, um, how to eat food, how to use your tongue, those kinds of things. And then, um, and then we got, we got to our state where, like you said, you kind of just, it's always in the backdrop, but you, you figure out your new normal, you learn how to navigate it. Rachel was finally in that stage of life where she was used to all the allergy medical things. It had been their new normal for years. Then 12 months ago, her daughter randomly passed out. And it was a weird pass out. She passed out in gym class and we thought she hit her head and like, I didn't see it. Obviously I wasn't in her gym class, but, uh, she hit her head three times. So she fell and she hit her head and then she stood up and apparently she tried to like start to, she was walking diagonal. So they thought she was trying to get out of the way. Like she bumped elbows with somebody the first time. Um, So they thought she was trying to get out of the way of the other kids to like get to the side. And she fell again. And this time she, she clearly had passed out before she fell because she went down. Like somebody pulled the plug she did not brace herself. She did not try to stop the fall at all. Um, she went down and the third time she hit her head was it bouncing so hard on the ground. And then she stayed out for minutes. 
it was really scary and it and it took us a long time so we have this this complicated kid who is seeing you know gastro doctors who's seeing asthma doctors who's seeing allergy doctors and we're trying to to manage all of this stuff and then we have this event that just feels not like a normal fall but we don't know what to do with it and nothing else makes sense and um of course you know, we have her checked out by all the medical professionals that she needs to, we manage a mild concussion. Um, and we kind of just chalk it up to, well, she must've tripped. And unless we have anything else happen, um, we're just going to assume that this was a freak, freak accident. But then she passed out again she passed out a total of four times and with each time it was physical activity induced. And that is concerning to the doctors, right? Um, so we had to see a cardiologist and this is, this brings us to where we're at this summer. Um, so we had to see a cardiologist and you know, everybody we're talking to is like, this is probably just a totally normal teen girl thing. Maybe her blood pressure dropped, maybe she, her blood sugar dropped. Like it's so common for, for teen girls to pass out. So we really went into the cardiology appointment thinking like, this is not going to be a big deal. So many things that we've gone through medically um, with this, with this kiddo have not been explainable or have not been figure outable. Right. Um, so we didn't really expect much, but I at least had enough sense to bring my husband. Right. So we're sitting in the room and the doctor is like, okay, I'm going to go get her EKG and I'm going to take a look at it and I'll be right back. I'm going to bring it and we'll talk about it. And she took a really long time. And we're like, I thought she said she was going to take a minute. And we waited and my husband's like, man, I got a meeting. I got to get back to, you know, there's stuff happening. We were so nonchalant about it because we really thought it was nothing. And she came in and that was when our whole world changed. I am familiar with this moment. I don't know their specific moment, but I have a moment a lot like this of my own. That was when you could just see the look on her face. And I guess, I don't know if the look on her face gave me answers, like knowing it was not great, but, but it was confused. Like I knew something changed, something had changed. And it was pure confusion that came out of me next because, um, because so with the heart, there are, there's the plumbing, right? There's the physical structure of the heart and then there's the electricity. So, you know, in one moment she's telling us, well, I think that your, your daughter's heart, physical heart is fine. So I'm like, well, this is good news. Um, but she has an electrical issue and she shows us the EKG and she shows us this little, and if you, if you look at a heartbeat, there's like the big bump and then there's the blip afterwards, like the little squiggle and her squiggle is just taking a little too long. It's called the QT. And we were like, okay, it's like, it's just taking, I mean, it's like, it's so small on the actual EKG. It's this little tiny extension. So it can't be that bad, right? Is kind of how we're feeling. Like we get it. It's, it's important. You're telling us it's important, uh, but we don't understand it. And the doctor told us that we, uh, meaning me and my husband and my son all needed to be tested. They wanted to test my husband and I before we left that appointment because it is so genetic. And so at that point, my husband drove home and picked up our son who was with a babysitter and brought him because like, at this point, we're, we're realizing that this is real and this is getting serious and that, that we need answers quickly because, because going home and sleeping after this is going to be impossible, right? Um, so we, so we got our son and we, the three of us got tested and my son and I were borderline and um, I'm going to back up for a second. So 
you know, the doctor was in the room with us and, you know, pediatric cardiologists are well-versed in how to talk about this stuff in front of kids. So I think that that was really good for our daughter, but it also led to some of our confusion because we're like, we don't understand how, how serious this is. Um, but she, she asked if our daughter could take her brother to his EKG, you know, and be the big sister so that we could talk alone. And that was when we realized like, this is really a big deal. And she, and she told us this is a really big deal. When she passed out, it was like the plug was pulled. Her heart had stopped. And I mean, by the grace of God, it restarted. Uh, so, so she has had four events where her heart has stopped and where it has restarted and, um, the danger in what we have, uh, and I'm giving some foreshadowing cause I said we, right. But, um, the danger in what we have is sudden cardiac arrest is that the heart stops and it doesn't restart. It is a, it is a specific type of arrhythmia that can result in sudden cardiac arrest. And so, um, in that moment, everything changed and we had to go through genetic testing and, um, confirm that that is in fact what she had. Um, and then we went through and tested my son and I as well. And it is me who has it. So like, I don't feel like a heart warrior for two reasons. One, because I didn't know I was one. I had blissful ignorance for decades. Um, and, and I'm going through the process of like reconciling that I gave this to both of my children and they do not have blissful ignorance. They have a responsibility and a, and a challenge that will change every decision they make for the rest of their lives. And, you know, everything that I thought I could do fearlessly before now applies to me. We are all on medication. So the first step is to take medicine to help us not have an accelerated heartbeat. Because if your heartbeat accelerates through mostly physical activity for our particular kind um, of arrhythmia, it, it can cause this, this type of dangerous event. Um, but if that doesn't work and it takes, then there's surgery and the surgery basically like cuts the main line of adrenaline to the heart so that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't cause these types of events. We don't know what we need yet. Um, but what we know is that it has to be managed because we've already had a kid who has gone through this. Um, and we are so, so fortunate because, because we can't even see a regular cardiologist or right. We have to see an electrophysiologist. Um, so, so the first cardiologist said, you've got this really big thing. It's a super serious. She needs to start the medicine tonight. And you have an appointment on Monday with this super special cardiologist who I'm like, I don't know. I can't even pronounce electrophysiologist at that point. Right. <laughs> I know. I always just say, because my son has a pacemaker, so he has one of those. I always just say yeah. he has his cardiologist and his electrician. <laughs> right. Like, and now that's um, when I, when I talk about heart stuff, now it's like the plumbing and the electrical work. Right. Like, yes. <laughs> that's how I get it. But, uh, but so the, the, the electrician, the cardiologist electrician is who we need to see. Um, and the, and the reason this, the reason all of this occurred, I didn't give the details of, of her last episode, but it was in a pool and, um, and we were finding out in a doctor's office 
which is the best case scenario. It, it, like we are so fortunate and grateful because many times people don't know and they find out in places that are not doctor's offices. And it's because there's been a scary event that does not turn around on its own. Um, so after that, um, our whole world changed and it's, it's not one that ever goes back to normal, even though we can do normal things. This is in, in, since this has happened, I've really struggled with the word normal, um, because people ask us all the time, well, can your kids do normal things? Like when will they be able to go back to normal? Well, and, and then it's, and then it's a telling me, well, you've lived a normal life and so they can too. And, and they really can't. And, and I can't anymore either because, because there's nothing normal going through your day knowing that you have this risk, which is very controlled with, with the medicine. You know, we are, we are doing everything that our doctors tell us we need to be doing. And we are, we are totally mitigating the risks, but owning a family AED, for instance, and then like, well, shoot, there's three of us. We should probably have two because like, you can't pick who takes the AED to their physical activity. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the fact that the fact that we have to have a family AED, that's not normal. So, um, you know, when I go to the gym and I have to think about like, is there anybody else here? Will will anybody notice if I fall? You know, it's, it's really not normal, but we can do normal things. And so that's what I'm trying to, um, to adjust our family to and remind us that even, and then if it's not normal, it doesn't mean that it can't be great, right? We can still have a great life. Everything about what we thought was going to happen in the future has changed now, but it doesn't have to be anything less than great. I love that she said she hates the word normal. All I could say is me too. I've heard the saying normal is just a setting on the dishwasher. And ain't that the truth? If there was ever a word that contributed the most to negative comparison and shame, I believe normal would be it. What even is normal? Normal is relative. Can we just delete that word from the dictionary, please? <laughs> I guess replacing it with what I'm used to is too much work, but I think it would be more accurate. For example, instead of a kid saying to my son, you have a big scar and an extra belly button, that's not normal. They could be taught instead to say, that's not what I'm used to. So the question for Rachel isn't, when can you get back to normal? It's, will you be able to return to what you're used to? And then when that answer is no, you realize the difficulty that their family is facing. We don't always get to decide our circumstances. We only get to try and get used to that different circumstance. So there is no normal. There's only what you're used to, and that is always subject to change. The transition to the medication and figuring this out has come with tremendous challenge and difficulty. And it's not just, you know, it's not just waking up and taking an allergy medicine. You know, it's, it's a matter of taking something that in one of our kids causes breathing problems. So yeah. now we have, now we have an electrical cardiologist and we have a pulmonologist and, you know, it, it's just, there is so much to navigate with this. And there's so much responsibility for me to feel like I have done this unknowingly to my kids. Yeah. It's like um, a whole new level of mom guilt. It is a whole new level of mom guilt. One I did not even understand was possible. Yeah. And in my mind, intellectually, I understand that I didn't. I know that. But in my heart, you know, our hearts break for the hardship our kids go through. Mm -hmm. 
but usually they don't directly correlate to like the fact that they have me as a mom, right? Um, we all make mistakes, but those are recoverable. This is a challenge that they will face for the rest of their life simply because I'm their mom. And I have to learn how to be okay with that. And, um, and it's hard, super hard. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't feel like a warrior at all because I haven't lived the challenges that other people have lived where they've had to go through surgeries, where they've had to live and navigate life. I was in blissful ignorance. And now here I am only because of one of my kids finding out that I was actually a walking time bomb, as we were told. Not by the cardiologist, by the way. They're really good, but other people. I know. I literally true. just said it. <laughs> yeah, but that's but that's the best way to explain it. You know, um, yeah, that is the best way to explain it is that you you are fine until you're not. Um, and then our our child with food allergies. One of the reasons it was important to talk about that was because um, so beta blocker medication it reduces adrenaline and epinephrine is adrenaline. Mm -hmm. That is what will save her in a life-threatening allergic reaction. And my gosh, it's, it's really complicated because we don't know if the medication will be effective enough uh, because the the medication being the epinephrine, we don't, because of the beta blockers and we don't know if the epinephrine would cause the heart rate to rise enough that we could have, we could have something else happen. Um, so, so that feeling of walking through life that you were talking about, uh, and just wondering if something could go wrong, but then just like learning how to live with that feeling on a, on, you know, on a regular daily basis, that's what we're going through is trying to figure out how do we again live a great life with this incredible feeling of fear and how do we not let fear determine what we do next mm-hmm. i mean safety and risk mitigation absolutely but fear has no place in childhood and we've gone through enough where we know that there are things that you can't just kiss and make go away your kids boo-boos and um and it makes it makes it a really different experience for parents who are navigating medical conditions and um, and that's yeah and that's it so have you ever had one of those episodes so in my 20s i had a couple of these episodes, but I didn't know. So there have been a few times where I have passed out for absolutely no reason. I remember one of them was like, I was loading the trunk of my car and then I was on the ground and I was alone and you know, you, you have no memory of it. So I had no idea what had happened and we don't have in our family any, any knowledge of this. So it wasn't like, well, you know, we've had some early heart attacks. There are certain things that we need to look at. Uh, we had no knowledge that there was any kind of heart incident. Um, mine exists and like through the stress test, you can see it, but mine has been less serious than our kids. Did your parents get tested? Yes. And this gets even more complicated. Um, My mom does not have it. I do not know if my biological father has it. Mm. And so um, I am trying to figure out how to, like, it's so important. It's so important that anybody who is told, you know, and Okay, I have to do like a PSA for a second. I've got to give a sidebar. But um, when kids have to do physicals for sports, there's a reason. And my kids are the reason. Because this is something that is found out on a soccer field. This is something that's found out in a swimming pool. Um, 
And a lot of people don't want to go through the process if a doctor says, well, I think you should just get checked out by a cardiologist. Please, please, please always get checked out. If anyone tells you, you need to, even if you're, even if you feel fine, your kid feels fine. Um, because, because most of the time it's like me where you have no idea until you find out for an event of your own or for an event from a family member. Um, so, so I, my mother doesn't have it. We don't know about my biological father, but one would assume because um, you have a 50-50 risk of passing it on to your child. And I got it from someone. Like it's clearly, in, it's written in my DNA that this that this is a part of me. Um, and I feel a moral obligation to seek out that person and let them know that their family is at risk because if they have other children if they have grandchildren those kids might not skate through like I did mm -hmm. they might have an experience like my daughter and I can't go to sleep at night knowing that someone might be at risk and not know and that I have this knowledge um, because it doesn't get to be blissful ignorance sometimes yeah if you had known you had it, would you have had kids? That's a really, really hard question right now. Um, and I, and I'm not going to answer because I think we're still too early in it. That responsibility for my kids, like I didn't know. So I honestly don't think that, it, and this is something Experiencing people's reactions to our situation is interesting because walk a mile, friends. Like you cannot understand what we are going through unless you walk a mile in our shoes. And so for me to say what I would or wouldn't do had I known, I don't think I know the answer to that because it's such, I mean, kids are so important to us. And so it, it feels like somebody could say, and, and in the darkest day, I could say, you know, I don't know if I would be able to do this because I'd be too afraid, but on a different day, maybe, maybe I would. And, and medical advancements happen every single day. And so I honestly don't think I can answer that. I love that answer. That's the perfect way to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Because and that question isn't even really relevant. You know what I mean? Because you have them and this is the situation now. What's the point of looking back and now I'm bombing my own question, but I'm just saying like, and I'm curious if, does your daughter think that she'll have kids? And that's, and that's, it's a good question. It's a question that I think everybody asks, you know, when, when we talk to people, it's like, okay, well, you just told me it's genetic and you're the mom and you have it. So who gave it to you is the, you know, like, does your mom or your dad know if they have it? Um, and then the next question, like kind of revolves around what's next and what's, what's normal, right? It goes yes. back to what's normal. And, um, and, you know, we haven't talked about that with her because we're still trying to get through, you know, there were six weeks where she couldn't sleep alone at night because she's old enough when she found out when this happened, she was old enough um, to understand that this was really dangerous and her heart stopped and like layering on the responsibility of decisions that she needs to make later. Mm. Um, so one of the things, so, you know, when, when you get a diagnosis like this, all your other doctors start calling you like your buddies, right? Like our <laughs> pediatrician called to say, I'm so incredibly sorry. And the allergist called. And so the, the allergist that we were working with um, kind of went into the list of potential future challenges that we're going to face uh, because of the types of allergies and the the heart condition. And I was like, whoa, too soon, too soon. I can't even, I can't even process the fact that you're telling me that like, 
we're going to have asthma problems that get worse in the future. And we're not going to be able to treat them because we can't have certain medication because of our heart condition. Like I'm not there yet. And I don't want to do that to our daughter. I don't mm-hmm. want to do that to either of our kids to put the burden of decisions that they need to make on the, in the future on them when I don't know what the context will be. I don't know if this is something that we'll be able to treat in a different and less restrictive or scary way um, in the future. And it will be less of a big deal. Or or I don't know if kids will be important. Like one thing that I have really learned through this is that I can't push what I want for my kids on them because their life will be fundamentally different than mine. Mm -hmm. And so like, we all think we do a good job of letting our kids be their own person, but I'm realizing how much we don't because we still, we're like, you can have your own opinions, but I still know what's best for you. I am your parent. And and of course we do, right? Like I've got one kid who would eat ice cream every day for every single meal for the rest of his life. If I let him, of course, I'm not going to do that. I do know what's best, (laughs) but, but, you know, they're going to chart a course that is completely their own. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be influenced by things that I never once thought about in my childhood. And I don't know what's going to be important to them. And I have to truly allow them to be their own persons, their own people, um, because, because I didn't have this type of a challenge and it will affect everything, every decision, whether or not they have kids, what activities they choose to participate in, whether or not, hopefully, We don't have to, as parents, decide whether or not they get a surgery. Hopefully, they'll be able to decide on their own when, you know, if they'd want to. Um, It's, but we don't know any of that yet. We don't know Mm -hmm. what what decisions will have to be made for them. We don't know what their preferences are going to be or what their fears are going to be. It's one day at a time right now. What a valuable lesson. Our brain will offer us a bajillion ifs from the past and worries for the future. I'm so grateful she answered these questions how she did. It's a good reminder to zoom into the now. Those other questions are irrelevant. Do your kids come and talk to you openly about it? Like, is it a constant conversation in the house or is it kind of like just there existing and no one wants to talk about it? Yeah, I think uh, in the beginning it was constant, absolutely constant. the closest I can compare it to was, you know, when you have a baby and probably your first baby and they go to sleep and you're terrified. And that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I have so much responsibility. What if something happens? And like, you know, and and then they sleep through the night for the first time and you wake up in the morning and you run to the room because you're like, oh my gosh, are they okay? Um, That was kind of the feeling that we had for the first few months because um, we just didn't know what was going to happen. And so, so then it was constant and our kids deal with it. They have very different personalities and then they're different ages. So they dealt with it really differently. Um, and then one had any, had events that caused this. And then the other one saw his sister go through the incident. Mm. So, um, So like there was a lot to unpack and we did talk about it a lot and we have to talk about the safety things that are a part of our everyday, you know, saying, Hey, you need to take the AED when you go to a sleepover. And then we have to get comfortable with kids going to sleepovers and those types of things. But I feel like it is becoming less at the forefront and becoming more like the food allergies. It's something that is there every day. It is something I have to think about and manage, but it is not dominating my life. It is not dominating my kids' lives. But every day there's a scary moment where, you know, each person, if they have a quiet moment and you think about it and, and you realize how different the level of risk as a household is, compared to other families and like 
it's just hard to comprehend and it catches your breath on a daily basis. Another place our brain takes us is what would you do in this situation? Then we think we can offer advice from that place. The truth is, you don't truly know what you do in any situation until you face it. So can we really judge how one another respond? I have been pleasantly surprised and disappointedly shocked at reactions, like the whole spectrum to our situation. And a lot of people think they know what they would do. And, and this, and this goes back to, you know, what I said about living overseas, um, preparing us, you know, what, I, one of the things I learned about being overseas or when we were overseas was that you think, you know, yourself, you think, you know, your likes and your dislikes, but you don't not as well as you not as well as you think you do. And there are things that I learned about myself when I was taken out of my world and put in a new one, living in a different country. And I found out I love them. And then I got stronger in my convictions about the things that I really did know about myself, right? Like some things I don't like and some things I am good at. It, it challenges you to become the person you are meant to be instead of the person you're telling yourself you are. And so when when people react with, well, this is what I would do, or this is what you should do, it is like, it is so normal. First, that's normal. <laughs> like it's normal because we think we know, we do we really do think we know, but it is so not the thing. If you have anyone in your life who is going through a challenge, that is so not the thing that they actually need. What they need is for you to say, I am so sorry. I don't know what to say. You are so strong. I will support you however you choose to path this. That's what we all need is not an answer, a solution to a problem, because you don't understand somebody else's problems because we're hiding behind the picket fence, right? Nobody can see, nobody can see my son come home and cry because he says his heart is defective and now he can't play sports like he used to. You know, it's, they, they see a kid who runs and he's fine. It, you know, so, so it's really important for us to recognize that we can't say what we would do until we're doing it. So often we give advice on what we would do based off of our lens of the life we lived instead of helping figure out, like, like you said, helping to ask, what, how can I best support you? What do you want in this moment? And if they say, I don't know, that is a perfectly fine answer. Like, yeah. Just sit there with them just, in it. Just cry. <laughs> just just sit there. And and so like we've had the we've had the spectrum of reactions. And I will say though, like hard times lead you to good people. There are incredible people that we are so connected with that maybe we didn't even know that well at the beginning of this, but they're they're so in tune with supporting us. And you can tell a family or a person who has been kind of kicked in the gut by me and has found a way to become strong and work through it. Um, but one of the things I wanted to say also is comparison, which really is like looking through your own lens to talk to somebody else about what they should do. But comparison is the killer of empathy. Comparing yourself to what you would do in somebody's situation is not empathy. Empathy is relating to the fact that they are in pain and that this is something that they are going through instead of trying to get someone out of the feeling you think they have. As a society, I think we're so focused on making things okay that we try to make things okay when they're not. And sometimes they're genuinely not okay. And they can be in the future, but it's not going to be because somebody told you to look on the bright side or came up with a silver lining in that moment. And so 
I I want to encourage anybody. And, and I, that's one thing I'm thankful for. Again, like the, the value that I've received out of this is I think I can be a better friend. I think I can be a better person because I can react to people bringing me something in a different way than I could have before. And so I guess that is my silver lining, but I didn't see it the first six months, right? Yeah. And you didn't need someone to tell you. you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. There's so much value in just letting that as my mantra for the year is let it be in 2023, because I've tried so hard to control, not control, but kind of control or overthink everything. And I'm like, the only way to peace and happiness is to let things be like, let yourself fall apart. Let yourself not find the joy for a moment. It doesn't mean you're giving up. It doesn't mean it's over. There is value in accepting what is and controlling what you can. And and when we don't let it be, we're we're trying to control things we don't have control over. And and Mm -hmm. telling ourselves that controlling our emotions and getting over things it is what needs to be done tells us and it models for our kids that emotions aren't okay. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to do that. That's not, that's not helpful to us. And we can be better parents and we can model better for our kids if we allow ourselves to feel the full spectrum of emotion because life is bittersweet. It is painful at times. It is beautiful, but, uh, you only appreciate the good when you feel the bad too, I guess. Yeah. And if we, if we keep trying to fix each other and to take each other out of these situations, then people can't get to the point where you get to this deeper level of wholehearted humanness. Yes. So we have to let people go through it. And, and really it's for you when you're trying to take someone out of their discomfort, it's for you because you're uncomfortable with them being uncomfortable and you want to solve it for them. Right? (laughs) That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Don't let your discomfort take away somebody else's ability to manage their discomfort. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause eventually they have to, even though no one, no one's alone. We're all like, we're all struggling together. You know, that saying like, you're not alone, but really, you're alone and you have to just get through it. Like you're not the only person struggling, but you are alone in this. And that is how it's meant to be. (laughs) That sounds horrible. (laughs) No, it doesn't sound horrible. It sounds like what I need. That's what I needed to hear because that is like, this is the loneliest and the least lonely time of my life uh, at the same time. And it's confusing, but, but you're not alone, but you are alone. And, and you are the only one who has lived your life. You are the only one who's on the path that you are on. And so it is okay to feel alone sometimes. And it's normal. And and it's normal. And people deal with that in different ways. I mean, obviously faith-based, you know, like this is the time to lean into the faith that, that whatever faith you are a part of, because accepting that there is a path that you're supposed to be on, even when you're lonely, uh, can help, I think, but, um, but absolutely. I totally agree with you. And it doesn't sound wrong. I think it sounds complicated. It is is complicated. (laughs) I love it. And for you wondering minds curious why she did this anonymously, here you go. It's because this isn't, this isn't my story. This is like, we're all, I've got a family that's intertwined in this and I can't tell my story without telling my kids story. And that's still their story. Mm -hmm. I don't want to project myself onto their situation and their experience, um, I'm sharing it from my perspective. And so that's one of the reasons why I just felt compelled to, to not put my name to it because there's a lot of parties who are reacting to, to our situation and they get to do that in their own way, not through my lens. Yes. And whatever they're thinking is none of your business. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so your husband doesn't have it. Is that correct? No, 
That is correct. Okay. So he, he has a different path because he has three, you know, his, the 75% of his immediate family is dealing with this and he's just trying to do a great job of supporting us. And he is, but, but man, he's got a big weight on his shoulders too. Like that's no walk in the park. No, no. Like at any point, one of three of the three people that I love could just be gone. It's yeah. Does it, do you feel like you live every day more now? Like, cause you don't know how many days you get or have you not thought of that? Yeah. I, I mean, of course I have. And, and I think about it, it's like, so here's, here's another, I do, and I do less about myself for two reasons. One, because I have made it to the, you know, I'm in my forties. So like I've made it to this age. So I do feel like my risk profile, even though this can happen at any age, my risk profile has gone down compared to what it was at younger years. So I think about it in the context of my kids more, but then at the same time, I think about how I have to do such a good job of taking care of myself, Mm -hmm. because if I, if something happens to me, I don't have to be the one to live with it. My kids do. My kids have to see that and then feel that pain of not just something happened to my mother, but this could be me as well. So I have to do everything in my power to do a good job of taking care of myself. So what's interesting is like, it's made me focus on myself and my own well-being differently because of them. Like I finally get the whole, put your air mask on first, right? Like Mm -hmm. I finally get that I have to take care of myself to do a good job of taking care of them because they're the ones who will live with the consequences of my lifestyle. And it's not, and I mean, let me, lifestyle is not a good word. It's because it's not a lifestyle, but, but, but I want to do everything I can to make sure that I minimize my risk as much as possible. Mm, That is heavy. That's a heavy load. I have people lately, you know, I'm like, oh, the story keeps going and here's the next step because, you know, it just keeps unfolding with the whole like connection genetically. It, you know, it, it's like, well, where does it end? You, you kind of don't know, but um, sometimes people are like, man, I can't even, I don't even want to tell you about this because I'm going through this, but like, it's nothing like what you're going through. I hate Everybody's that. going through something. Yeah. But it's like, but I still want to know what's going on in my friend's lives and in yes. my family's life. It doesn't, there is no competition to see who is suffering the most or who has the worst situation. Like nobody wants to win that award and everybody still wants to feel connected. Mm-hmm. And so like, they like hearing other people have challenges in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I know what I, you I mean. Wanna still, because, because I want to be supportive. Yes. Like my, my situation does not take away from my ability to be a support system to somebody else. And I hope one day when I can like look back at this time, I'll be an even better support system because of it, not mm-hmm. in spite of it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I have that feeling of like when a mom goes to a hospital, like I can't have your experience exactly, but I could take parts of your experience and match them to mine. And if you're feeling even a little bit of what I felt, then like, I understand even though I don't fully yes. understand. Do you know what I mean? And so yes, like when exactly. we were in the hospital checking in for our son to get his heart surgery and there was a girl with her teenage daughter and her wrist was broken. And I was just like, I'm so sorry you guys are here. Like that is so hard. The, the feeling of giving your child to a surgeon and just like, good luck. Like whether yeah. it's your arm or your heart or your toe, like I don't care what it is. That's a scary feeling. There's no competition. And so I yes. hate that when people say, it has nothing like my my nephew had to get a hernia repaired as a baby, like he's a baby and they had to still give their baby to a surgeon. And they're like, well, it has not like it has nothing compared to what you have gone through. And I'm like, if you ever say that to me again. But it goes back to the whole like you're alone, but you're not alone. Exactly. Because, you know, the day the day I became a mom was the day that like suddenly I felt connected to every mother in the world. You know, yes. there is something in me that is forever changed. And like, I can feel things mm-hmm. for other moms that I never could feel before. And and that's not to knock anyone who's not a parent, but just my heart changed yes. when that happened. And so I, I don't know the same experiences that other people have gone through, but I can get closer to the feeling yes. than I could have before. 
Yep. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story and crying in front of me and being a vulnerable and brave. Like I really appreciate it. And it's so interesting to, to think of having to be a heart warrior and a heart warrior mom all at the same time. That's so I end every episode with the same question. What do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? Such a hard question to answer because I think depending on the day lately, it probably influences my answer. But what I think I wish people knew beyond our picket fence would be how strong each person in our house is right now. It takes a lot some days to just go about the motions. Um, it's hard to relate some days to people who, who don't know what's going on. And I see sometimes the decisions I make or my, what to an outsider would look like anxiety watching my kids playing or, or something like that. It's not anxiety. It's taking a tremendous amount of strength for me to be able to do that because I know what I know. And it takes a tremendous amount of strength for my kids to go out every day and do what they do. And for my husband to be supportive and, in and be strong for us at the same time. And so I just, what I wish everybody knew was that like, we might look like something on the outside, but we're so much stronger on the inside. And it's taking all of that strength just to look like we look today. Mm. Do you ever get a break from that? No, no. I think that's a part of who we are now. Wow. Thank you so much for listening. I'll miss you till next time. But if you need more, no worries. You can go back and listen to the entire first season if you missed it. And or connect with me on Instagram at Beyond with Chelsea, where you never know what's going to happen next. <laughs> Link in the show notes. And remember, lead with kindness because you never know what's going on for someone beyond their picket fence. <laughs>